project this evening uh, from John chapter 4, the story of the woman at the well. That's traditionally how we hear the title of this message, uh, the, the Samaritan woman at the well. But I've been a teacher for about 100 years, and I realized that unless we have some background to this thing, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. So if it's okay with you, going to give, well, actually, if it's not okay with you, because that's what teachers do, we give you background, right? So I'm going to give you some background right now so you'll understand a little bit better where we're headed and how in the world this story is going to make sense to us from John chapter 4. So first thing we have to talk about is uh, in the Gospel of John, who in the world wrote it, right? Who wrote the Gospel? And the obvious answer is? John. John. Thank you very much for that. So, not to be confused with John the Baptist, not to be confused with John Mark, who's all in the book of Acts. This is a different John. This John was a fisherman with his brother and his dad on the Sea of Galilee. He went on mission after Jesus said these incredible two words, follow me. He went on mission with about 11 other guys, he one of his brothers, or his brother was one of those guys. And they hung out together for about three and a half years I mean, it'd be kind of like a camping trip for three and a half years. How would you like that? I would hate it. But they did, they did this uh, travel together thing and went around talking about the kingdom of God, right? Under Jesus' direction. So he went on this mission trip, you could say. John was probably the youngest of the disciples. We don't know that for sure, but he could have been as young as a teenager. That puts different perspective on stuff. He was a local Jew, and so he knew a lot about geography of the place. He knew a lot of details. He knew times. He knew places. Uh, he knew names, and he knew it firsthand. So it wasn't just secondhand experience or, some, or hearsay. But he decided, I, I think this is kind of funny about John. John decided that he was going to be, at least I think he decided, that he was going to be the one whom Jesus loved. Now, no other disciple referred to John this way. John was the only one who referred to himself. In fact, in the Gospel of John, he doesn't even call his own brother by name. He says, and one of the disciples, or John's brother, the, the brother of the one whom Jesus loved. I mean, this guy, he's, he's making it all about himself, in, it seems, in some places. But I kind of like to think, because of who John is, I'm wondering if maybe John didn't decide early on Jesus, he's going to need a friend. I think I'm going to be that friend. I think I'm going to stay closer than just about anybody else. I think I'm going to move right in where he is. And when we start doing stuff and we scatter around a little bit, I'm still going to kind of stay close. That's totally speculative on my part, but I've got a hunch that Jesus or John was the one who decided that he was going to be the one whom Jesus loved. I wouldn't pick that on Jesus so much. So, he was also, John was also part of this inner circle. Jesus had the 12, and then he had the three, Peter, James, and John, so he was one of the closer guys. So what was John's character like when Jesus said those words, follow me? <laughs> well, he was intolerant. He was a bigot. He was zealous in a very immature kind of way, and he, had a, he was a fathead. He had a huge problem with pride. <laughs> But he was transformed through hanging out with Jesus into who became known as the beloved disciple, the one who was compassionate. He became gentle. 
he became sensitive to people, more than tolerant, humble. Because hanging out with Jesus will do that to you. And that's what happened to John. Just because he spent time with Jesus. At the cross, he was the only disciple who was there. Eleven of them ran. Well, Judas killed himself. Ten of them ran. And John came, and he came near. He came so near as a brave and loyal disciple that Jesus said, John, will you take care of my mom? Will you take it? Now, that's close. That's trust. Will you take care of my mom? History tells us that, that Mary moved in with John. His gospel was an eyewitness account, and that is really important for us to understand. He was there. When these stories happen, he was there. So in summary, you've got this guy, John, who is a Jew, but a fisherman, a businessman, your common guy, regular old guy. And he hung out with Jesus for long enough to be transformed by his love. So his gospel message is to all of us. It's to the common people. It's to the businessmen. It's to all of us who call ourselves Christian. And he says, let's come and get to know him. Now, this is a cool thing. John's gospel records, or I should say 90% of what John's gospel records is different than all the other gospels. Do you realize that? The content of John's gospel, 90% of it, the other gospels writers didn't record. So we're talking about a perspective here, an eyewitness account, but a perspective that's, that's really different than the other guys. Really different. Definitely worth taking note. So what was the purpose of his gospel? We have to look at this. If we would look at uh, John chapter 20, verses tw uh, 30 and 31, it says this. Jesus did many other miracles, in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that through believing you might have life through the power of his name. That's the reason Jesus wrote, or John wrote the gospel. So if that's the reason he wrote the gospel, that's the reason this, this story about the Samaritan woman is in that gospel. So let's look at that just for a second. Let's look at it a piece at a time. <clears throat> Excuse me. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's another word for Messiah. What it means is the anointed one and his anointing. And that's some powerful stuff, you guys. That is God on you. That is God in you. It's God through you. It's a supernatural level of, of influence and power to live according to the life of God. That's what the anointing is. So, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, and the Son of the Living God. Now, that, that term right there, Son of God, that was uh, the way John portrayed Jesus all the way through his Gospel. There are seven, only seven miracles recorded in the book of John, and all seven of them display Jesus as the Son of God. Not the son of man like Luke did, not the servant like Mark did, but the son of God. Not the king of the Jews like Matthew did, but the son of God. Very, very different approach. Very different presentation of Jesus. So here we go again. These things are written. This story we're going to talk about tonight is written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing, you might have life. When you look at the Greek language, that word life is zoe, and it means God's life in you. 
doesn't get more lifey than that. That is about as life as you get, is God's life in you. You might have life through the power of his name. But go back up to the, the first part of this line. These things are written so that you might believe. When you see the word believe in the New Testament, the, the translated, accurate translation is trust. We're not talking about mental agreement here. We're not talking about, oh yeah, that sounds right, yeah, we'll call that good. We're talking about trust, and that's a whole different level of relationship, isn't it? Amen. Completely different. And trust is not developed unless it's tested. Dang it. <laughs> so, same, same with faith, right? How do you know you have faith unless your faith is tested? You don't, you don't know. But God knows. So, let's, let's read this verse again, but do so kind of replacing some of these words with definitions. Because this right here, this is why we're talking about the story tonight. This is the purpose. These things are written so that you might trust that Jesus is the anointed one, the son of the living God, and that by trusting, you might have God's life in you, on you, through the power of his name. That's a cool verse. There's a lot packed into that verse. So, it's because of this stated purpose, contrary to all the other uh, Gospels, that this Gospel is not historical. It's not a historical account. It's an invitation. Come know the Son of the living God. It's an invitation. Come meet Jesus. It's an invitation. You want a life? I'll give you a life. It's through Jesus. Amen. And it's Amen. not just for an exclusive group of people. It's for anyone who will say yes to him. It's for everyone. So G John was a Jesus follower. He was a simple, uneducated fisherman who turned Christian when he met Jesus. And he wrote to the common man to reveal Jesus as the Son of God. That's the summary right there. In the gospel, he strongly proposes one question. And it's the question, yeah, John for us today, but Jesus has for us today. Do you believe, trust, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? If you say you do, you can guarantee this. It will be tested. Right. And if you say yes to Jesus and you keep saying yes to Jesus, your trust will just deepen. Your relationship with him will just deepen. And it just, it, that's God's definition of life. Doesn't get a whole lot better than that. So, there's your intro. I hope you've learned something so far. Yeah. Uh, if we don't know context, how in the world do we understand the story? We just don't. So I'm a teacher, no apology, I'm a teacher. I gotta give you some context in there. So now, I'm gonna invite you, will you please stand for the reading of God's word as an expression of honor to him? Let's honor the word of the Lord with our attention to the God of the word, yeah? The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of, of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Can you see him? Can you see him sitting down there? Okay. See, he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When 
a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water. So I won't have to get, I won't get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now, he's not your husband. What you've said is true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Now shifts. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we, we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, trust me, woman, a time is coming when we will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks, God's spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, called Christ. He's coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. And just then his disciples returned and were surprised, yeah, to find him talking with a woman. But no one dared ask, what do you want? Or her. And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of town and made their way toward him. And meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat you don't know anything about. And then his disciples said to each other, Somebody else bringing food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages and even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps. It's true. 
I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because of that woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came out to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord for us tonight. So, about 700 years previous to Jesus' lifetime, the Assyrians attacked the kingdom, northern kingdom of Israel and scattered them all over the Assyrian Empire. And the few people, uh, Jews, who were left intermarried with the Assyrians, and those people became the Samaritans. Oh, everybody together? Oh, good. Those people became the Samaritans. They were half free, half Jew, half Assyrian. The Jews hated them because they were half Assyrian, and the Assyrians hated them because they were half Jews. That's a lose-lose right there. So they were, these Samaritans uh, were forbidden to worship at the temple in Jerusalem, so they established their own form of Judaism. They built their own temple at a place called Mount Gerizim. The Jews were forbidden to associate with the Samaritans in any way at all. The Samaritans worshipped, now listen carefully, they worshipped the God of the Jews, but not in the way prescribed in the Old Testament. Confusion, yeah? They had their own temple at Mount Gerizim. They had their own version of the Pentateuch. Who rewrites the Bible, you know? And they had their own version, get this, of Israelite history. So, a contagious availability. We're going to talk about a few points that make our availability to the Holy Spirit and to each other and to our neighbors make this whole thing contagious. So, a point at a time. Let's start another story. There are some Jewish religious, religious leaders called the Pharisees, and they learned that Jesus was making more disciples than John. So Jesus did a brilliant thing. He removed himself from their attention <laughs> because they weren't happy with him. So he removed himself and decided that he would go, we just looked at it on the map, from the south in Judea, where Jerusalem was, up to the north, 60, 65 miles, something like that. Jesus had to pass through Samaria, the Bible says. But wait a minute, did he really? Hey, can you go back to the, the map there, Jared? Or, you're not Jared. Yeah, you are. Okay. This <laughs> was different from this one. So, I want you to follow with the map. I showed you where Jerusalem was. If you were a strict Jew, here's what you'd do if you wanted to go from the south of Israel to the north of Israel. You'd go, say, from Jerusalem, east, across the Jordan River, up the King's Highway that ran on the east side of the Jordan River, and then back west across the Jordan again when you got up to the Galilee region, and went that way. So basically, instead of going from south to north, just zing straight up, you went jing, 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 like that. It's a lot more time and a lot more effort. But if you were a strict Jew, you didn't have anything to do with Samaria, because there were, you guessed it, Samaritans there. And you don't go there. Right? So, Jesus said, 
we had to pass through Samaria. Well, what the heck, they didn't. They could have acted like strict Jews and gone the other way. But then I looked up this word, had to, had to pass. You know what that means? Every single time it's used in John's gospel, it means there was an, a, a divine appointment waiting. It means divine necessity, divine requirement. Now, we know in John chapter 5, verse 19, that Jesus only did what he saw Father doing. And then in John chapter 8, it says Jesus only said what he heard Father saying. So he must have seen Father go straight north through Samaria. And because of, the Bible says he had to pass through Samaria, we know there was going to be a divine appointment there. So Jesus was alerted to that. He was ready. The disciples weren't. They've been trying to avoid Samaria their whole lives. So they probably just, oh, no, what's he thinking when he said, here we go, and he didn't go the usual strict route, right? Would have really confused those guys. So our first point, uh, back to the next one, thanks. Jen, you're great. Thank you so much. Our first point, then, of, of this contagious availability is respond to the Holy Spirit's need. Now, I know Corey and Jennifer can tell you this. Anybody in ministry can tell you this. If you want a recipe for burnout, if you want a recipe for confusion, respond to need. But if you want to do things the kingdom way, respond to the Holy Spirit. Because he will lead you. It doesn't mean we don't serve when there's an opportunity to serve. It just means we need to set uh, our ear on Holy Spirit's voice and respond when he says, I want you in this place at this time. Because, I mean, do the math. If you're there and you're not supposed to be, then who's supposed to be there and where are they and who's spot there and where are you supposed to be? And ah, It just doesn't work, right? So... Pay attention to Holy Spirit if we want to be available. Pay attention to Holy Spirit. So then we come to the point in the story where Jesus comes to the well with his disciples to the well outside of Sychar. It's called Jacob's Well, really deep, and it's been there since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Jacob, like a long time before. And Jesus said to these guys, he probably didn't say it this way, but he may have been thinking it, I need a break from you people. <laughs> would you guys, you 11, go into town, get us some food, come back. They'd already been on the road by foot for 40 miles. It's the heat of the day. It's noon. He sends them into, into town, into Sychar, to go get some food. He stays by himself, and he's probably just sitting there thinking, yes, I don't have to answer any stupid questions. I don't have to do anything for just... And up walks a Samaritan woman with her jar. She's getting some water. No woman goes in the heat of the day to the well without a bunch of other women to get water. They all come in the cool of the day in the morning. They have water then for the rest of the day in their household. This woman was not like that. She came in the middle of the day by herself. And Jesus, can you believe it, initiates conversation with her. What is he thinking? First of all, Jews do not associate with Samaritans, period. There's no discussion or negotiation about that. You just don't do it. Secondly, a man does not talk with a woman in public. He 
especially if she's a stranger. He is breaking every rule in the book here. But he does an interesting thing. He creates a safe space for this woman. How in the world does he do that? We're taking lessons from Jesus tonight, so we're good here. <laughs> when Jesus asked the Samaritan woman for a drink, he was putting himself in a place where they shared a common need. He leveled the playing field. You're a human, you need water, I'm a human, I need water. Can you help me with a drink here? Shared common need. Shared common need. And then he engaged her in conversation on her turf. That makes it more safe. And he used an illustration that she was familiar with. Water. That is not super spiritual. That's common sense. Talk to people about where they are, about who they are. Engage conversation. Be nice. Seriously, that's just, it's just, it's just being nice. It's common sense with relationships. This is, this is an example of that. So Jesus offers this Samaritan woman living water. Living water describes what Holy Spirit can do for the human heart. And it's very similar to that verse in John 10, 10. Do you remember that? The thief, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But listen, I have come that you might have life. And that more abundantly. So the word abundantly, it means more than enough. Over and above, it means extraordinary life. It's a quality of life. This eternal life that Jesus is talking about, this, this spring of living water that's welling up unto eternal life, do you know what it's talking about? Not just a quantity of time. When Jesus uses this term eternal life and he invites you into it, he's talking about a quality of life now, not just a length of time after you die. It's a quality of life. You know, I'll be so bold as to say this. If there was no heaven, I'd still choose Jesus. Amen. Because life with him is so much better than without him now. Amen. I absolutely would choose Jesus. So the woman gives this, this thing. She, she starts talking about Jacob's well right there. She's like, are you greater than Jacob? What is this living water stuff? Because he said, I can give this to you. He said, are you, are you greater? Are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well to begin with? Jesus said, well, <laughs> yeah, he was. I mean, duh. But, <laughs> but he didn't rub that in her, in her face, you know. He, she basically was saying it was a Samaritan dig. That's what it was. It was a Samaritan dig. Because she said, are you greater than our father Jacob? And she was uh, identifying her and the Samaritans with, um, with the true descendants of Israel. So it was a Jew-Samaritan thing going on here, and she was going, you know, kind of digging him a little bit. And Jesus suddenly appears to change the conversation, starts talking about, go get your husband. And remember, Jesus doesn't say anything on his own authority. He only says what he hears Father saying. So Jesus gently led this woman in the way that Holy Spirit was leading him. And he told her, go get your husband. She said, I have no husband. And you can just see the compassion all over him. You're right. Is that five? That means you've either lost five men dear to you by death or divorce, and both are hell. 
The woundedness in your heart must be so deep. The shame, the loss, the desperation that would drive you to live with yet another man just to get your needs met, physical needs, because she couldn't have gotten a job on her own. And this brings us to our next point. Jesus the man, Jesus the Jew, Jesus the prophet does not judge her, does not condemn her, and does not force her to repent. Just accepts her. The logical response when Jesus says, yeah, you've had five. The logical response was, Something clicked inside this woman. This guy's a prophet. Now, we would say, well, duh. But from her perspective, listen, how often would a Samaritan woman have an opportunity to engage in a theological discussion with a Jewish prophet besides never? And this woman was ready. Man, she had a pertinent, relevant, legitimate question for him. And it was about worship. Great, great topic of discussion for a prophet. Worship. She said, okay, you Jews. She jumped right into the thing unapologetically. You Jews say we have to worship in Jerusalem. We worship at Mount Gerizim. What's going on? What's going on? And Jesus goes into this thing, this beautiful thing. And it's a common verse that we know. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Right, because those are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. He's looking for us who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And she goes on, he goes on rather, and talks to her about worship. And basically, here's his message. Jesus is, or God is spirit. I'm made in his image. I'm a spirit being. My primary identification with him is spirit to spirit. And there will be a day, Jesus said, in fact, He's inaugurating this time frame right now. Jesus said there will be a day when Jerusalem, eh, Mount Gerizim, eh, doesn't matter, this church, eh, you will worship spirit to spirit. Where is the place? That was her question. Where's the place of worship? Here's what you say. Here's what we say. And Jesus said the new place of worship is in the spirit. It's in the spirit where my spirit engages with the spirit of the holy almighty God of the universe and I see him for who he is and can't help but worship him. That's the place of worship. That's the place of worship. Amen. So she's saying Mount Gerizim. Well, what the heck? What's about Mount Gerizim? We learn in Deuteronomy 11 that Mount Gerizim, and by the way, that's where the Samaritans had built their temple. It was the Old Testament setting for the pronouncement of blessing. It was the Old Testament setting for keeping the covenant with God. And then Jesus, because she introduced this subject, he had a wide open door. But the reason he had a wide open door was because he had already followed Holy Spirit's lead and created a safe spot, and he wasn't judging her for her personal stuff. We have some lessons to learn with this, don't we? Amen. Amen. Serious lessons to learn with this stuff. So, Jesus started talking about this place where we worship, this place where we worship. And the, he basically categorized it out, and let's do this with him. You're, some, you're Samaritans, you worship at Mount Gerizim. We're Jews, 
we worship in Jerusalem, but here's the new spot, the new place of worship is in the spirit. And then we, we learn something really interesting that helps us with this story from the Old Testament. God had said to his people over and over and over again, remember when your mom used to tell you things a thousand times? It's because she wanted you to remember it. I mean, that's bottom line. And you'd be likely to forget. Yeah? Amen. So thank God for mom. So God does the same thing. When you see him repeating himself all over the place in the Bible, it's because we're likely to forget and he wants us to remember. So he had told the Israelites over and over and over again, he'd say, you guys, don't marry people who don't worship Jehovah. Don't do it. And then he even told why. Because they'll drag your heart away to worship other gods. And that's exactly what had happened with this, when the Jews intermarried with the Assyrians. Their hearts were dragged away, and they started worshiping other gods. And 2 Kings tells us even their children did the same. And then it says, and their children's children. And it continued on generation after generation until Jesus died. And I hung out with Samaritans in Israel, and I'm telling you, it's still continuing on today. Still. Because our hearts get dragged away when we join ourselves in marriage to, to, some, to a situation like that. Now, I'm not saying that for condemnation. I'm just following what Jesus was teaching here and why. But this is super important. You got the Samaritans over here, you got the Jews over here, and it's a clear distinction. I've given you enough evidence so far, you understand, it's a clear distinction. But listen, it wasn't a racial distinction Jesus was making, and it wasn't a, a segregating distinction. He was just giving Old Testament facts. He said, here it is. God's gonna save the world through his son Jesus, the Messiah. And when he does, he's gonna come. And when he comes, he's got to come through some family. So it's going to be Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's family. He's going to be a Jew, but he's the son of God coming for everyone. God's global heart for everyone, anytime, everywhere, because God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Right? He's a, he's a God for everybody. And that's the distinction Jesus was making here. And he says, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And man, that woman was probably just blown away by this thing. So Jesus came to begin a new time frame in which we worship the Father in spirit and in truth because the kingdom of God is within us by the person of the Holy Spirit. So the woman, she's tracking with Jesus. She's just, she's hooked up, just connected. And she suddenly, there's a connection between what Jesus is saying and the Messiah coming. She goes, the Messiah's coming, and when he comes, he'll explain all of this stuff to us. And Jesus jumped on that one straight away. Yeah, I'm he. That's me you're talking about right there. The cool thing was, the Samaritans and the Jews, they finally agreed on something. And that is, there's going to be a Messiah. They both had hope. Now, it was misplaced hope because they were hoping for and waiting for a militaristic political Messiah who would overthrow the Romans and then they'd be free. As not, Jesus came to overthrow sin and then we'd be free. <laughs> Jesus came to know him as an invitation. And so uh, Jesus is just pacing himself, waiting for these revelations. And this is what's so cool, you guys. 
it, Jesus is waiting for her, waiting for the lights to go on in her. Just ding, ding, ding. He's patient. He's not pushing anything at all. He's patient. And if you give Jesus enough space and you be patient, he will reveal himself as you love people. He will. He's faithful. He wants those people to know him even more than you want them to know him. So, in this rare confession, Jesus says, I'm, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. And just when the mood was set, the disciples show up again. <laughs> Here they come from in town. These dudes are hungry. They're tired. They're thirsty. And imagine their situation. They're in a part of the country they've been trying to avoid for their whole lives. Jesus had sent them into town by themselves, without him, to find food in a Samaritan town and then to come, 10 Jews just walking into the town, right? And then to come back and find him at the well talking to a Samaritan woman. They come back and are probably appalled that he broke every rule in the book. They had just been gone a few minutes. You just can't leave the guy alone. <laughs> he starts talking to people he's never supposed to talk to before. There's a, their male Jewish leader talking to a female Samaritan immoral woman. Alone. What do you do with a Messiah like that? Right? What in the world do you do? So the woman goes into town. Disciples are back. Things get awkward. The woman goes into town and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And the whole town went, no. <laughs> well, I'm imagining the emotional response of the other men she had been with. I'm imagining their wives who knew about it because this woman had been ostracized and she wasn't allowed to hang out with the other women. Everybody in town probably knew who this woman was. And she goes and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did? <laughs> Please, no, 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 no. And it says they all rushed out of town to hear this guy or string him up. I, I mean, this would freak everybody out. Like crazy. So then she asked this question, could he be the Messiah? Well, if the other statement didn't arouse their curiosity, this one did. You, you, <gasps> so let's look at the progression of, of her relationship with Jesus. First of all, he was revealed as a tired man at the beginning of the story. Then in verse 9, he's referred to as a Jew. In verse 11, he becomes sir. In verse 19, he becomes a prophet. I, I discern you're a prophet. And by 29, could this be the Messiah? That is quite a leap. That is a huge leap. In a short conversation, she's had this revelation, one after another after another, who this guy really was. And she runs off and tells people, well, yeah, Merry Christmas. I mean, if this is the Messiah, we sure don't want to miss him, right? You don't want to miss him. So that brings us to the next point. And the next point is be careful with people. Be careful with people. Why are we talking about this? In verse 35, Jesus told his disciples, look up, lift up your eyes, lift up your heads, and look, 
The harvest is ready. The harvest is ready. Go harvest. Here's what that means. Open your eyes and get acquainted with the needs of those around you. Open your eyes and get acquainted with the needs of those around you. You know, studies show that within 72 hours of a person's drama or trauma, their pain, their loss, their suffering, something, within 72 hours, that's when they're most vulnerable. And I don't say that in a manipulative sort of way. I say that as an invitation. You've got about 72 ripe hours to love, to serve, to get, not to preach, not to explain why this horrible thing happened, not to talk. People just need to be listened to. They need to be held, they need to be touched, they need to be what they need, some practical needs met. But it's a window that people are most vulnerable, psychologists tell us. And you know that in your own life, the vulnerability when you get news that you've lost somebody or that something catastrophic has happened. You know what that's like. And that's the time we need to learn to be careful with people, isn't it? Be careful with people. And then he says, so just be available. Be available. Verse 39 is key. Listen to 39 here. It says, uh, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. That is a really key verse. Why? Because the people of the town trusted the woman's testimony, because of her testimony, they started to trust. This woman of ill repute, who the people in town would have nothing to do with, suddenly becomes an evangelist. Seriously. An evangelist that people are listening to. That is huge. Why? Because she had an encounter with the living God. She had an encounter in the most difficult of settings. She went back and said, you'll never believe what just happened to me. But they did. They believed. The day before, the, that very day, these women with other women and men wouldn't have anything to do with her. And now she comes back boldly. She comes back being careful with people. She comes back with an encounter with Jesus. And they go, Oh, maybe we should trust you. That is huge. That is a huge difference. They trusted her of all people before, listen, before they ever trusted Jesus. Oh. Oh. Your neighbors will trust you before they ever trust Jesus. Give them somebody to trust. You know this whole idea of be a good Samaritan. This story puts a whole different definition to that phrase. <laughs> be a good Samaritan, yeah. the one who gives, the one who sacrifices, the one who goes, the one who sees regardless of who the person is, be available. Be available. Jesus saw this woman. He knew this woman. And he still loved and accepted her. And that began to heal her deepest shame and loss and sorrow. She had lost five husbands, either by divorce or by death, and that'll leave a wound, a very, very deep wound. She was desperate living with a man she didn't even know, or wasn't even married to. What was her need? What could bring healing to her grief and loss and shame? 
holy, pure, agape, unconditional love. Amen. 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 Just love. And when Jesus heals a wound that runs deep in your soul, there will be noticeable change. People are going to see that. It'll change your countenance. It'll change you from the inside out. And only Jesus can heal those wounds. And then Jesus says, will you be, will you be available to be a healing ambassador for those who have been hurt in similar ways that you have? Are you willing to be vulnerable, to trust the Holy Spirit when he leads you, willing to let Jesus use the story of your loss and your shame and your hurt to be a bridge that connects your hurting friend to Jesus. That's availability. And believe me, it's contagious. Because one woman shared with her neighbors how Jesus exposed her past and present, the village of Sychar was transformed. Amen. One woman. One woman. So, of course, they said, hey, hang out with us. Jesus, can you stay? Can you stay a couple of days? <laughs> Those poor disciples. <laughs> they had to spend two days and nights probably in the home of Samaritans. No. <laughs> They're going to need some healing after this. But, but Jesus was going to walk them through it. It was okay. Uh, and then, because of his words, even more people trusted that Jesus was the Messiah. So let's follow the, let's follow the line here. Jesus' words were heard first by the woman, and she trusted him. And then the woman's words were heard by the townspeople, and they trusted her, and then they trusted Jesus. But when the townspeople heard Jesus himself, they trusted him. Amen. See that, Maria? Ding, 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 ding. Did you track with that? So how did Jesus reinforce all this? With his presence. He hung out with them. He stayed. He came where they were. He went into their homes. He stayed right there. It's interesting, isn't it? At the beginning, Samaritan woman had this zeal for theology, right? Let's talk worship here. Let's talk about it and get this straight. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. She had a zeal for theology. That Holy Spirit reached in and grabbed and turned into a zeal for Jesus. A zeal that was so strong, it, it created a passion within her to tell other people. And then the line started. The revelation started one after another. And he continues to use us the same way today. His body. Because we represent him. We bring him on the scene. So, our ability and effectiveness in bringing God's kingdom into our sphere of influence will be a direct result of our own personal encounters with Jesus. Every day. And then our availability to him will be contagious. Amen. It's the way it works. Amen. So Jesus, thank you. You are irresistible. Amen. Help us to represent you so well that you are irresistible when we love other people, when we serve other people, when we speak to other people in your name. We want to be good ambassadors. We want to be, we, we, don't only, we not only want to be good ambassadors and representatives, but Jesus, we want to be 
contagious with each other. Jesus, you are amazing. Help us represent you well by loving well. Jesus.